I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to 1 John chapter 4. Our theme this semester is truth and love, and we spent our first two messages this semester on really trying to get a basic idea or introduction of the book of 1 John, what it's all about. Last week, we talked about the big picture of it and why John wrote it. It really was contrasting the conflicts of his day and to bring people to a full assurance of salvation. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first verse of 1 John chapter 4. I'd like to read the first six verses this morning, and then we'll just take time to look at our first introductory verse. John is writing, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now it is, it is in the world, or already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John is writing his letter here to warn against false teachers and also to confirm and strengthen the salvation of those who are true believers. So 1 John chapter 4 has been considered the high point of the letter, and it focuses on two main tests of genuine biblical faith, the real thing. The first is the truth test, which is found in verses one through six, we just read to you. And it's very clear that the idea there is truth and error. And then the second is the love test found in verses seven through 21. So this morning, let us look at this first verse Because this is the way John begins the chapter, and he starts with two very urgent commands. The first command, he says, is don't believe everything you hear. He said, beloved, believe not every spirit. When he talks about every spirit, he's speaking about those who are preaching, who are being energized by a power or by a spirit. The second thing he commands is to check everything out that you hear. For he says, try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And the point he is making is that every believer needs to avoid being gullible and naive with regards to teachers and to preachers. Literally, he says, not every spirit believe. Try the spirits, examine them, test them, scrutinize them. Just like metals were tested in the New Testament to see if they were genuine, test to see if the message that is being preached is genuinely from God. The famous writer John Stott said, behind every prophet is a spirit and behind each spirit is either God or the devil. Before we can trust any spirits, we must test the spirits. So John is issuing a call to all of us as believers to develop the ability to discern the nature of spiritual teachers. Or we could say it this way, 
the ability to see through appearances in order to get to the truth. A number of many years ago, I was preaching in a church in the state of Michigan and they were having a conference and I was invited to speak at the conference and the, the opening speaker got up to speak and I was sitting on the front row and my son, Stephen, who was probably, I don't know, seven or eight or nine years old at the time was sitting there with me. And Stephen was the kind that would just, if he fought it, he just said it. And the man that was preaching got up and after his fifth illustration in a row, he turned to me and said, dad, when is he going to start preaching? I thought that's pretty good discernment for a young boy. He is telling us to be discerning people. So question, why is it so important that we receive this call to discernment? Why is John so direct in telling believers not to believe everything you hear? And there are three reasons. Number one, because of the presence of false teachers in his day. What does he say? Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, should this surprise us? What did Jesus explicitly say in his own words? He said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Matthew 24, 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Mark 13, 21, for false Christ and false prophets shall arise and shall, so, and shall so, show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the, the elect. The apostle Paul warned the pastors of the church of Ephesus over 30 years before, about 30 years before 1 John was written, he warned about false teachers. He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Later on, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And even Peter warned about the problem. He said in 2 Peter 2 verse 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who secretly shall bring in damnable heresies. So let me ask you a question. Should there be a surprise when John tells us many false prophets have gone out into the world? John is clear and he's very direct. He says there's true prophets and false prophets. There's truth and there's error. There's Christ and there's antichrist as it was in his day. So it is in our day. And as John was writing this letter, there were already heretical factions that had arisen within the body of believers in the church of Ephesus. The false teachers had left the church and they had gone out into the world. That's what we learned last week. They were, if I could say this way, defectors from the church, but they also became detractors to the church. Now, if that was the situation in the first century, what about the probability of the presence of false teachers in the 21st century. What about today? Are we so naive to think that things have changed as time has transpired? Has things gotten better? 
Do you think false prophets actually exist today as they did in John's day? Let me ask you a question. Could you name a false teacher if you had to do it? A number of years ago, I was preaching overseas in India. I had a translator who actually translated for me on a number of occasions there. He was a little short Indian man. His name was T.T. Varghese. I just called him Brother T.T. That guy had a built-in loudspeaker. He didn't even need a microphone. And when I would preach, I would preach, you know, kind of up and down in my, my, my vocal inflections. He had one vocal inflection. It was loud, turned up all the way to the top. And he was a great preacher. And after my first sermon, I preached with him. He looked at me, he said, Brother Pettit, he said, I don't preach for every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes to, to India to preach. He said, I only preach with pastors or preachers or evangelists who preached, and he says, the crucified Savior. I said, what do you mean? Explain it to me. He said, a number of years ago, I was invited to preach in a tent crusade, and I went down and I preached. I translated, basically, for another man. And when I was done preaching, I sat down and I begged God to forgive me for what I said And I left that meeting that night and did not return. I said, Brother T.T., what in the world did you preach? He said, I preached another Jesus. I said, what do you mean another Jesus? He said, oh, I preached Jesus. I preached the Jesus that would help you. I preached the Jesus that would heal you. I preached the Jesus that would bless you. I preached the Jesus that would give you wealth. He said, but I never preached the crucified Savior. He said, for you, when you preach the crucifixion, you preach about the sinfulness of man, the death of God's son to pay for your sin, the need of a new birth and a new life, and the need to repent and believe. He said, I did not preach the Jesus of the Bible. I preached another Jesus. Now, my time in India I'd spent there was almost a month And when I came back to the United States, it was almost like I had different eyes. I was at my mother-in-law's house. The TV was turned on to the religious station. And the man that was preaching was a guy named Joel Osteen. About three or four minutes into the message, I turned to my mother-in-law. I said, do you know he's a false teacher? She looked at me. She said, really? I said, yeah, listen to him. I said, he talks about Jesus. He talks about a Jesus that will help you, that will bless you, that will give you health and wealth. But listen to his message. Where does he call out sin? Where does he preach on the blood? Do you ever hear a message about heaven and hell? Repentance and faith. I said, listen carefully to the message. And that's the point that we find here. False teaching is measured not by what a preacher denies only, but by what he de-emphasizes. What part of the message does he leave out? Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. A false teacher will either cut out parts of the message 
or he'll so manipulate the message to make it more palatable for the hearer. I heard this statement years ago. It's always stuck with me. We're to preach the Bible as it is for men as they are. Why is it so important that we have discernment? Because of the presence of false teachers. But then notice secondly, because of the impact of false teachers. You see, in John's day, the false teachers were having a dramatic impact on the church and the world. They had left the church. They went out to start their own rival ministries. They had their own traveling ministers who were spreading their false doctrine. Their message was crafted to attract a following, but their impact was damaging. The world was blindly flocking to hear them because their message was tailored to fit what the world wanted to hear. Even gullible believers were being drawn away by the false prophet's mixed message. And they were having an ongoing influence. The Bible says because many false prophets are going out into the world is in the perfect tense. That means it started and it continues. And because these ministries experienced sudden growth, they were being validated in the minds of people because of their apparent success. The minds of the shallow were excited that they, that they had grown like weeds, but the more discerning were concerned because they saw them as weeds and not true fruit. However, their impact did affect God's true and faithful people. They were confused by what was happening. They were discouraged by the negative influence of the false teachers. And so John commanded them to try the spirits. And when he said, try the spirits, the implication is actually positive, not negative. The word means to test for the purpose of approving something. The goal here is to discover and to discern which spirit is from God. In other words, we're not called to be heresy hunters, but we are called to have the ability and listen to something that sounds right. This is one of the tests that I have. If I hear somebody say something, I ask the question, when I read my Bible, is that the sense that I get from reading the Bible? I've been reading my Bible by the grace of God every day for about the last 46 years. So I've read through the Bible many, many, many times. And when I hear things, I ask myself, is that really the sense that I get in the Bible? Is that really the emphasis of God's word? I think what John is doing here is he is saying that the positive impact of the presence of false teachers is to strengthen God's people and to give them a greater spirit of discernment. In other words, with the presence of the false, it strengthens the truth, the truth. And my hope is that you will not only be aware of the reality of false teachers, but your heart will be strengthened and that you will have discernment and your, and your soul will be fired up for the truth. My grandmother Pettit died at the age of 94 years old a number of years ago. 
She had been a long-standing member of the First Presbyterian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The church for many years had been theologically liberal. The sad thing about liberalism is that it doesn't give any hope at a funeral. And my family was deeply influenced by liberalism through the churches that they'd gone to. My grandmother's funeral involved the minister of the Presbyterian Church leading the service. I was included in the service they allowed me to read the scripture. After the message of the liberal minister, I was so upset by his dead, anemic, formal, uninspiring, pathetic message. It was horrible. You know, I preach better when I'm mad. When it came time for me to read the scripture, I nearly exploded. I read John 14 verses 1 through 6. Afterwards, I had a man come up to me, and most of these were relatives and cousins within my own family. And he said to me, I've never heard the scripture read that way in my life. I looked at him, I said, you know why I read it that way? It is because I believe it from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. The presence of false teachers should strengthen our faith, and it should fire up our souls. So why? Why be discerning? One last reason. Because of the future of Christ's church. The ability of God's people to discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of error is vital for the future of the church. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but that does not say that we as the church have the right to be indolent in our fight against heresy. Jude reminds us, he said, earnestly contend for the faith. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. John tells us that false teachers are energized by a power called the spirit of Antichrist. By the way, who is the Antichrist? Well, he is a literal historical figure, a real person who is coming in the last days. 1 John 2.18 says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists where we know that it is the last time. In John's teaching on the last things, he confirms the confirming of this, uh, he confirms the coming of this Antichrist. And just like Jesus was God incarnate, the Antichrist is Satan incarnate. However, before he comes, the spirit of Antichrist will be active and influential in the world through false prophets. Think of it this way. Before Jesus came, the Old Testament prophets embodied the message and the spirit of the coming Messiah, Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, as they spoke about the coming one. Likewise, false prophets embody the message in the spirit of the Antichrist. And this is a warning of huge proportions. For it tells us of the active presence of an evil and antagonistic spirit that is against God's truth that energizes false prophets, that viciously attacks God's people and seeks to destroy God's church. False teaching is real and the consequences are devastating. So from the time of John's writing until this very hour, 
The people of God are called to discern and stand against the evil spirit. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. May God help us to have discernment. Lord, thank you for your word and the truth that it brings, how it cuts straight. And help us, Lord, as a student body to have discernment in our day, to know the difference between truth and error. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.